Hi, and welcome to Mohammed Bana's podcast. Today is 30th July 2022, and I'm very excited today to have Paige and Eduardo from Calgary in Canada. They are with a company called Connector 4.0, and today's podcast is sponsored by Connector 4.0 and Global Institute of Wealth. Welcome, Paige and Eduardo. Thank, Thank you for, for having, having us. Okay, how's things in Calgary? It's actually quite sunny today, so it's good. We we get a little bit of sun here sometimes as well, so it's it's good. I think Calgary it's a it's a great place to be now. All right, how are you doing, Paige? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm enjoying the weather as well. It's it's a nice refresher from from the minus forty and snow we typically get. So you can yeah. actually walk around with a tank top on, which is nice. That's lovely. So let's get cracking. And our listeners are quite excited to hear from us. Our listeners are mostly high net worth individuals and people that run family offices with traditional family backgrounds and uh, traditional businesses. We are trying to educate them to bridge the gap between traditional assets and why they need to put digital assets onto their balance sheet. And I'm sure you'll agree with me in the last 10 to 12 years, digital assets have been outperforming uh, traditional assets like commodities. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I believe people should have a diverse portfolio and educating yourself is definitely extremely important. So having someone like you, for example, that will be able to be there for people to educate them where they should be investing in and yeah, I mean, the industry is a little bit of a mess right now, let's say like that. But I believe having the right people that can educate the masses is extremely important. Okay. So guys, tell me how your journey has been and how did you guys get introduced to digital assets? Uh, well, I can start first, I guess. Uh, the Connector is actually my fifth venture. I do have four other businesses, as you were mentioning. Some of the people that are watching this podcast, they have more of the traditional businesses. So I do have traditional businesses as well. I, but I've got introduced to crypto about five years ago when I dove deeper into finding out more about the, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum. And I was very fascinating because you know, Bitcoin is a uh, digital currency and a form of money that can be sent to anyone anywhere in the world at any time. We're not having that third party interaction. It's just the user to user, which I believe it's peer to peer. Exactly. Right. Right. And Paige, how, do, how was your journey into the digital asset space? When did you get introduced to it? Yeah, I mean, I, I got in about actually when I met Edward, so about mm, two years ago, and I actually started my journey in the sciences. So, you know, I have a degree in science, and then I kind of filtered through and went into clinical psychology. I was actually in my PhD clinical psychology program uh, when I met Edward, and you know, he introduced me like, hey, I have this idea. And, you know, when then we started to talk a lot about cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, and I immediately gravitated towards the subject because of the, you know, greater philosophical impact that it has 
on society as a whole, you know, systems are made up of people. And so automatically I was intrigued, you know, and I started to really ask myself that, that fundamental question of what is currency? What are assets? Why do we have them? You know, how did they come to evolve in our society? And, you know, my, my interest kind of peaked from there and I, I went down the rabbit hole and here I am. That, that's great. I think we all have this tale or journey of going down the rabbit hole. In fact, the last book I yeah. wrote on Bitcoin was called The 21 Lessons. And it's got this rabbit on the on the cover. It's quite an interesting book. I'll actually put a link on the on the bottom of this for people to find that book. So once you found out about Bitcoin, you probably bought a bit. And, and did you go into other digital assets, Eduardo, like from Bitcoin, Ethereum? Did you have a diversified portfolio or were you a Bitcoin maximalist? Uh, no, I, I do have a uh, portfolio, uh, but Bitcoin and Ethereum is definitely two of my favorite ones. Uh, I'm also, I also like uh, Elrond, which I'm a big fan of. It's actually coming from the same country as I am from Romania. Uh, and it's a massive blockchain. I, I, I really like the CEO, Benjamin Minku, who's a phenomenal guy. And I think, I think they are doing what they are doing. They are doing it for the right reasons. And I think it's very important when we research, you know, which companies to invest in or what digital currencies to really invest in. I think it's very important for us to really look at who's running the company and who's really behind it. And what's the reasons they are doing it? Um, I think that's extremely important because at the end of the day, it, yeah, it just makes a big difference when you find out who's the CEO, the reasons they are doing this uh, this project. It just makes a huge difference. I agree with that. You don't want to be investing in a coin that has just got a, a young 14-year-old sitting behind a laptop as a one-person show. And you know, that's... Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, and the roadmap is very important as well, right? Like the roadmap makes a difference. And when you look at the roadmap, you want to see if the project is hitting those milestones that they're all talking about and how their their evolution comes to life, right? Because, I mean, the space, it is a bit of a mess right now where everyone is getting into it to let's make money quick and then go enjoy life in Bahamas having a pina colada, right? But really, that this is not what the industry should be about. And, you know, for each new technology, we'll have that at the first, you know, couple of years, there will be people that will try to take advantage of the, the masses, right? It's just the way it is. And we got to be very aware of them. And you want to make sure, you know, yeah, I think really researching who's behind the project makes a huge difference. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Part Partly why I was a fan of Elrond is actually because of the CEO. You know, I've listened to several podcasts that he's been on. And like you mentioned, Edward, he really puts DeFi at the heart of what he does. So, and, and you know, you can argue that maybe his platform's not DeFi in terms of the back end, but when you look at the front end and his philosophy and what he's doing and how he's targeting transparency, um, you know, trying to, to solve for misuse of power, you know, he really is admirable in that way. So I'm a fan of that as well. So guys, I read up a bit on your company and I'm obviously going to let you all give us a better understanding of it. But it seems that you guys are focusing on DeFi. 
why don't we just dive into it? I wanted to, get, uh, you know, slowly get into it, but there's no such thing as slow anymore in, in, in podcasts. We need to just go straight into it. So what is the Connector 4.0 about? Okay, so the Connector 4.0 is a decentralized bottom-up economy. So in order to really have that economy, there has to be multiple pillars. So the reason we call it the Connector 4.0 is because we have four pillars. One of them is a all-in-one DeFi banking platform. Okay. The second pillar is the connector socials. The third pillar is the connector marketplace. And the fourth one is the connector verse. And probably Paige can dive deeper if we really want to know more about every single pillar that we have and you know, really find out what the connector is. And it is a massive project as probably every single person we talk to every day, they say, wow, the connector is a massive project, very ambitious. We all know this. So I've been in the industry for, I mean, I've been in an entrepreneur for the last 10 years. So whatever I do is just ambitious. So that's just who I am. <laughs> and why not? You know, if not now, then when? Exactly. Exactly. And I believe we are like, this is the perfect time for something like this to really come out because everyone is aware of crypto. If you say crypto and if you say Bitcoin to really anyone, which is like seven plus billion people on planet Earth, they've heard of crypto. So we've yeah. done a phenomenal job when it comes down to that awareness about crypto and Bitcoin. Do they really have the knowledge and do they really understand the mechanism and the behind the scenes and how everything works? Probably not. But they are aware of all of those things, you know, the crypto, digital currency. So I feel like now we are at that tipping point where like people are looking for a platform that they can trust, a platform that is there to really kind of like hold their hand to walk through with them, you know, to really enter this new space. Mm. And yeah. that's what really what the connector is about. Okay. So yeah. there's there's four pillars, and I think. Paige, take us through it. Let us give the floor to you. Yeah, I mean, if I was to say what the connector is in two words, it's really about creating invisible DeFi. Okay, because, you know, when we look at the psychology of technological mass adoption, so, you know, how do we get people actually using this technology? Um, it's people don't, they don't really care about what's happening on the back end. You know, when you get in your car and you drive it, do you understand what's going on under the hood. Of course, some people might find this interesting. Maybe they want to have conversations about it. But the reality is you don't. You, you get in the car, maybe you turn the key, you push the gas, and you know, wow, this goes. It helps me meet my goal of point A to point B. And I think that's the, the tipping point and the, that blockchain is experiencing right now is you know, how do we use this technology to benefit the masses? And how we do that is focusing on two things, you know, user friendliness and simplicity. You know, users aren't really going to care about how blockchain works necessarily, but they're going to care about how does this help benefit my everyday life? How does this help me get from point A to point B? And does it require a lot of effort? Does it require a lot of learning? Because as soon as you ask, you know, a person to, to dive deep into the books, you get that initial resistance. Like, mm, you know, and I'm, I'm done learning in my life. I just, I just want to know how this works. So that's when we strategically introduce that element of uh, familiarity. 
Okay. So for the people that are listening and they don't have a clue about what DeFi is, what would a uh, you know DeFi for dummies explanation be? Yeah, I think a DeFi for dummies explanation. Well, I think it helps to really think about the opposite of so DeFi means decentralized finance, right? And we can look at this, like I said, from a back end or front end angle. I think the interesting part is looking at it from a front end. You know, what does DeFi mean? And to understand decentralization, it helps to also dive into what centralization is. And centralization requires um, multiple people relying on one group of people or one person to make decisions on their behalf. And, and that requires trust, you know, but the problem with centralization occurs when, when there's this misuse of power or maybe this, this malicious intent. And so if that, you know, becomes an issue, then all the people underneath are affected by that because now you have this corruption that takes place where one person is making crucial decisions that affect all the people underneath. Whereas in decentralization, you, you have the opposite. So you rely on a network of people to, to kind of validate or, or make these decisions. And so in that way, that's why, you know, we call DeFi trustless. It's because you don't have to trust um, in someone to, to yield results. And so, you know, I, I like to think of an example in this way so anytime you go let's say you go into a coffee shop and you want to buy a coffee okay so you have the buyer and then the seller and then the bank and you know I want to buy coffee so I hand the the uh the teller my card and then that card has to go to the bank and the bank has to verify does Paige have enough funds to you know buy this coffee and if she does they go great and they on you know on a little ledger right minus five dollars or however much the coffee is okay gives it back and there's this middleman happening decentralization it occurs across multiple people so there's multiple people at the same time simultaneously looking does Paige have enough funds in her account and then they all record it at the same time now this enhances security because if one person in that entire network was to say, you know what, Paige doesn't get a coffee today. I'm going to, you know, lie and say she doesn't have enough funds. Then that, that whole other network can detect that. And, you know, the, the transaction won't be validated. And so it's, it's really about a network effect versus a single entity being in a position say, of power. Would you say that, I don't know, we're going to talk of many topics, right? Uh, the trust, yeah. the whole point of DeFi is to take the trust away from a single person or a single organization or a single entity, okay? And a few uh, examples come to my mind, okay? And I think the listeners also and people out there, they forget very quickly what has happened in 2015, okay? Like in 2015, uh, banks in Greece were, sh were like frozen, okay? And if you had $2 million, I, as an example, or you had $20 million in a bank, the, the public were told that you can only withdraw something like $200 a day. So this is where, on my research that I've done, and I've done 
like an MIT course, I've done the Sailor Academy, and then you do your own research and you're listening to hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts. And I found that the facts speak for it in history, okay? And you guys had a recent one where the truckers went on uh, strike, right? Let the, I'll leave it to you guys. Tell us what happened with the truckers in Canada. Yeah, Edward can speak to that. We actually were talking about this not too long ago. Yeah, we had a trackers convoy for freedom. Uh, as we all know, this last couple of years, I believe the two, three years since the pandemic started has been tough for for really anyone, you know, and the government has a little bit stepped on the, how should I put this so I don't sound too bad, I guess, but it stepped a little bit too far in the not so good of a side, you know, when they try to take away certain things from people. And I believe finances and money is something that it's, I personally call it as a basic need that everyone should have access to it no matter what, no matter where, especially if they're, they're not committing any crimes, right? And I feel like a freedom of speech and, you know, trackers were doing the protest. I don't, I personally don't see anything wrong in it. And I know the government has been frozen bank accounts because, you know, they were part of the protest. So that's really what happened in the last two years in Canada. But we, we see it pretty much everywhere in the world now. I believe in China, we saw that there were a bunch of uh, tanks in front of a bank where like people's savings were frozen and people no longer, 400,000 people no longer had access to their money, which is really scary. And that's really the how the CFI system works where like, you know, you can put like one person in charge of, uh, the whole nation and it, it is scary I, I personally think it's very scary but really the whole point of DeFi I feel like DeFi can offer multiple multiple incentives and just you know it's not just that people will be able to control their money but also you know offer underbanked uh, countries and underbanked people access to their own finance and you know, offer them possibilities for loans, possibilities for uh, staking, yielding, possibilities for, you know, investing, which right. they really don't have, but yet they have access to, to phones, right? And we have right. multiple conversations during the week because we want to find out what those countries are really going through and how, we, how the connector can help. And we, will, we had a conversation about two weeks ago with someone from Madagascar, and he said that he is only allowed to go to the bank twice a month. And sometimes he will spend the whole day going to the bank. And then the cashier will tell him, sorry, uh, you, yeah, no longer yeah. have, you no longer have any money in your bank account, right? And there's nothing that they can do about that. The, you know, the bank will not really be there for people. And I feel like the bank should be a financial instrument that's there for people to incent, you know, to really help their day-to-day -day life, not the other way around where like the bank will take your money and then that's it. There's nothing else you can do. It should be, the bank should be created by the people for the people. And I believe that's where the connector comes in and stands for the people, offers transparency. It's your bank account, you control the money. The connector does not have access to your account. We don't. Okay. Okay. So, so that's the DeFi part. What's the social part? Can we move on to some, 
something of the social. Yeah, absolutely. So the socials is a decentralized uh, social media platform where will offer people more of a freedom of speech. Just to give an example, our Twitter account has recently <laughs> been suspended <laughs> okay. because because we have um, advertised too much about the DeFi and how DeFi is, I wouldn't say better than CeFi, but how DeFi has more benefits over the CeFi system. Because at the end of the day, I believe we need both systems. And yeah, I, I feel like people should have a little bit of more freedom in what they want to say. And just another example that I can really go into is that like someone has copied my identity on Instagram and I've reported that account multiple times and this person is committing something that's not ethical where they're reaching out or pretending they're me to people, you know, saying how is your trading going and trying to scam them on certain... This, this is a problem in the crypto space which we are finding with everyone's accounts. Okay. Exactly. And like, you know, I will report that Instagram like literally 20 times a day. Nobody has done anything in the past two weeks yet. I make a post that has nothing really that's nothing wrong in that post. And then I get suspended. Yeah. yeah. You know, so how come like there's not really an algorithm to really detect those scammers yet? Yeah. Because there should be an algorithm. Yeah. Right. So I believe that's where like, you know, the connector social is really just for people to make sure we keep a safe environment for everyone. If you like to speak your mind, go ahead and do it as long as you're not hurting, you know, committing crimes and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just, just some interesting facts, which I'm going to share out there, which maybe I've shared on the podcast before. So from the 7 billion people, I read a small uh, research document. And I think it was done by Hootsuite, you know, this company called Hootsuite, okay? And today, there's about 5 billion handsets already, mobile phones, okay? And yeah. yet, there are countries where 70 and 60 and 50% of the population don't have bank accounts, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've made some posts um, uh, it's on our Instagram and where we looked at countries like Nigeria, we've looked at countries like Indonesia, obviously El Salvador's, uh, you know, like it's like a thesis. We all looking at it and seeing what's happening. Okay. I think 70% of El Salvador didn't have access to bank accounts. So I think on, on the fact, number one is there's 7 billion people in the world. These are all living people, which, you know, need to have access and trade every day and save money in some form, right? Then we have these, uh, you know, 190 countries using different currencies and uh, a lot of the currencies are unstable. And uh, that's, that's a second challenge. And then we have uh, access to these 7 billion people through 5 billion handset phones, okay? They don't have access to desktops. They don't have access to laptops. They don't have uh, access to transport to go to a physical bank or a physical ATM. And then the banks themselves don't have enough ATMs in rural areas or in all the locations. I mean, you've got to think that the world's bigger than USA and uh, you know Canada and North America when you come into bigger places, bigger continents like Africa and South America that the banks have not rolled out 
enough branches or tellers. And in this day and age, we don't need those physical locations of banks. We don't need, uh, you know, a teller. Everything can be replaced on, on, on the handset, okay? And it's amazing. I mean, this is the modern day Swiss Army knife, okay? And um, the evolution, uh, I'd like to say, from when we first had a Nokia phone, okay? Those unbreakable Nokia 3310s. And all we could do was play snake and use a calculator, okay? I remember that. <laughs> I think that's, that's where people of our similar age can relate to it because we went through it and we were kids at that time or in school or university or whatever it is. And we then moved and, and, and nobody thought we'll stop using a Nokia. When, we, when everyone had a Nokia or, or an Ericsson, that was it. I think there was just Motorola also. And then everyone moved to BlackBerry. I know about my country, but I think, <laughs> correct or wrong, Paige? Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember the, the ping feature and you ping, ping, ping. Actually, the first time that I was introduced to um, like any sort of like computer or advanced technology was when I used to watch them be spy kids. And, and they'd be wearing the watch and the face of the person they were talking to would appear on their wrist. And I thought, wow. Yeah. As a kid, I thought there's no way that's gonna happen. Like that's unbelievable. I couldn't even fathom this because, you know, all I ever really knew was, like you said, that snake game, and just to have a face appear on your wrist. I thought incredible. And then here we are, you know, with Apple watches, and in in just a decade of time, and it's just it's incredible, um, you know, where where technology has brought us. And it, it brings me to, to ponder that, that psychological question of how like, you know, the fear in the crypto space, the resistance, the hesitancy, that's all a very, very normal part of, of transformative change. And, you know, you see that a lot uh, with any technology advancement. I remember when the internet came out, you know, it was all for scammers and all for, yeah doing all these corrupt behaviors and now it's it's we use it every day i think we don't even yeah. think about the fact that we're using the internet because nobody dials up anymore and there's no one uh, running a telephone wire from the kitchen phone line to your bedroom and you don't get yeah. the ping 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 dialing up to the internet and you know those days of uh, you know waiting for a page to buffer and stuff like that so mm -hmm. i think the and i think yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying, <laughs> if there's listeners out there that are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, they need to realize that they cannot be afraid of cryptocurrencies and they cannot be afraid of digital assets, as I call it, okay? Uh, because there was a time when they all used to use a fax machine, okay? And there was a time when they all, uh, what was the other thing? Didn't have an email. Okay, and it was the technology is always adopted by forerunners, and most of the time it's you know really clever youth or would you call it like geeky people. So even in the crypto space, I'm sure in 2008 it got adopted by the the coders and the the geeky people. I'm not saying who's geeky and who's not, but you know what I mean. The the tech savvy people, and now I think we're reaching a point where it's becoming. Uh, you know, because of social media and because we have social media as a, such a huge advertisement platform, okay? In the old days, you had to put 
if if a Reebok pump, do you remember these Reebok pumps that you could pump the shoe? If it came out in America, it took two years for that fashion to filter through to South Africa. Okay. But with the invent of social media like Instagram, I mean, if it comes out today and we goes viral on Instagram, tomorrow everyone in South Africa knows a shoe like this exists. Okay. And this is the merger, I would say, of seven billion people with five billion handset phones that have access to the internet. Now, the question that comes to my mind from the five billion phones, there might be a lot of them that are still on just, you know, uh, not smartphones. There might be some phones that are still Nokia's and whatnot in poorer countries. But, uh, you know, companies like Huawei and, and that are making cheaper smartphones that are not as expensive as Apple. And this is good because everybody in the world cannot afford an Apple phone or a Samsung phone. So there's smartphones that are coming out with Android features. And this will, uh, you know, reach a point when these 7 billion people get these smartphones in their hand and people like you guys, connectors, developing your apps, okay, and being, making it available on Android or Apple or all these platforms. And you're going to find this merger and the gap that the banks could not fill Okay, because let's say there's Mexican people in America and we're just using this as an example and they are working there, but they need to send money home to their families. Okay, they went there to look for better opportunities, but they use companies like Western Union every month and Western Union takes something like $700 billion. I think it's per annum or something like this just on fees. Okay, this is crazy. Yeah, well, yeah. because I believe the financial system has not yet been challenged for a long time. So now this this is a time where the financial system is experiencing a big, big challenge, which is coming from the blockchain technology. So think of this as an era of going from, you know, when we never had cars, we had horses and we had to take the horse to the to go buy milk and then someone invented the car and said like, you know, this car can go anywhere, you know, and people were like, are you crazy? You're going to have to stop the car to pump it with gas every X amount of miles and stuff like that. And nobody believed in the person, right? Like nobody believed that the car is going to be something that will actually be still here 20 years later or anything like that so i feel like this is what the financial system is experiencing now which is beautiful going from like riding horses to going like actually driving a car anywhere in the world you can drive a car i can go from calgary to toronto 23 hours i can do that with a horse will be tougher right so you know i feel like that's really the era we are in right now which is very exciting and i you know think of like how amazing it is that like anyone anywhere in the world to have access to their finance, to have access to being able to invest, even if it's as little as $5, $10, no matter what, because think of people from, you know, Africa, I believe the minimum wage there is $40 a month. If they take that $5 and they turn it into $40, that's a big return on the investment for them. It might not be as big for us. Exactly. It might not be as big for us in, you know, Europe, North America and developed countries, but for them it's life changing, like you said, you know, and I believe giving them those opportunities is going to make a huge difference five, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, as you guys were speaking, I think of things a little bit differently. And I was thinking about, you know, this, this fundamental thesis of how technology eliminates geographical barriers, right? That's, that's all it's really about in, in terms of the telephone, in terms of FaceTime, you know, the metaverse, you no longer need to, to travel. This 3D dimension no longer needs to be a barrier for you to connect with people, for your minds to connect. And so when, you know, when I think of technology as a whole, technology does what the human senses cannot. So I cannot always physically travel to another continent in a matter of seconds, but with technology, I can. I cannot always go to the bank, but with technology, I can. So technology at the you know most broadest level, I believe, is just expanding on our human senses. I cannot see a cell, but with a certain type of technology, I can't because my eyes are only limited. And so just because we cannot experience things with our direct human sensations does not mean they don't exist. And it also doesn't mean it has to be a barrier for, for our existence. Well said, well said. It was, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that uh, analogy. It was very well said. What do you have to say, Eduardo? Woman yeah, with a different just, perspective. <laughs> no, I'm just excited because you mentioned Western Union and that's exactly my, my grandma still lives back home in Romania and that's really what I have to use to really send her money. And we talk about countries that are fully developed like Canada, Romania, right? But yet they still have to use Western Union and pay a fee of 10% on the money that I send, which is actually a high fee because if I look at sending a $1,000, it's $100, it's a high fee, you know what I mean? And we might look at it, oh, well, it's just $100. Well, that's three months salary for someone in an undeveloped country that I would rather give that to them. What if there was a way for me to send money directly to my grandma without having to go in a Western Union office or like Western Union location to do that? I just send it from my phone directly to her bank account and I pay 0.01% fee, sounds way better than 10%. And I can donate the remaining of whatever, 99.9% to those under, underdeveloped countries, which will make a huge difference to them. You know what I find interesting? Uh, this, this thought came to me one day that diamonds are used in the first world country to, to kind of like put on a ring or show off kind of thing and, you know, to be flamboyant and show your wealth, okay? But in an African country, in a mine, diamonds are used on a drill bit, okay, for a purpose, okay? And it's, it's in lower developed, or let's say less developed countries that they have to have the diamond head on the, on the drill bit to drill, okay? You know, when you're mining. So I yeah. see it as this, that... People in the first world, someone buys 10 Bitcoin or has a hundred Bitcoin in his hard wallet. He just feels good. He's a multimillionaire. He's diversified his portfolio and he's just buying Bitcoin or any crypto as a store of value for his assets. Like he'd buy a diamond. Okay. Maybe a diamond for his wife. Now in the first, in the, in the third world countries, they're going to be using crypto just to transfer money fast. Okay, because yeah. it's a solution. They, they're not buying 
they're going to take their fiat currency, uh, get get it converted into crypto. They need to send it even 100 kilometers away to another village, to their mom. Okay. But it's cheaper, it's, faster. It's utility. Exactly. It's utility, right? It's the utility behind it. And I was reading an article not a long time ago about someone from Argentina that they trust Bitcoin and the software technology more than they trust banks. And for them, crypto is now like it's their currency. You know what I mean? Like it's a way of it's a, exactly it's a basic need. You know, for some other people in developed countries, it's something like you know it's more of a diamond. For others, it's a basic need. It's a way for them to really live their day-to-day -day life. A way for them to you know sell their things or whatever they need to do. And yeah. That's yeah. really like sometimes we take certain things for for granted and, you know, we got to, you know, really sit back and, you know, realize that some of us are more blessed than others, but don't forget about them, you know what I mean? And do, I mean, you got to have a strong why in life and that's just what life should be about, trying to make a positive difference in people, in other people's life and just do your best to really help others because at the end of the day we are all on planet earth for a reason and that reason is to to work together and help one another yeah it what you were saying about the diamond uh reminds me of the diamond water paradox have you heard of that before no explain that to us no so the the diamond water paradox is what you'll learn in any first year economics class and that's this idea about okay so here you have a diamond and you know a diamond is not a basic need you don't need it to survive yet it costs a, like thousands or millions i mean depending on different factors but it costs a lot and then you have water and water is a basic need yet it costs less and so it's this idea that you know price and the way things are priced is not always uh dependent upon you know a basic need but it's it's dependent upon this rarity level you know how rare things are and then that leads into this idea of, of supply and demand um but it but it ties into with what you were discussing about the diamonds and the rarity and as well as utility right and so it's important to challenge to challenge these these concepts yeah i think bitcoin has many factors and it's not just one topic so i say if you look at what is a strong hard money and it has a lot of these characteristics then if you look at what is a good technology it's it's technology also then it's, uh, you know, it, it has scarcity, it has technology, it has uh, transferability. It's got so many qualities, okay? And as you were saying, a shift from going from a horse to a car, it's not an evolution. It's more like a revolution, okay? And I think what brings me joy, as, as Paige was saying with technology, we are sitting thousands of miles away from each another, okay? And it's like as if you're in the next room or you're sitting in front of me. Okay, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. There's no lag on this call. 
you you so clear in front of me the voice is coming through and this wasn't available 20 years ago okay and my opinion is covid actually accelerated uh, adoption of certain things by 10 years what would have taken 10 years uh, we just all went on to zoom or if i had to contact a ceo of a company or a ceo contacted me to say come on zoom it's no more offensive it's not like oh why don't you want to drive to my office or jump on a plane and fly and have a c suite meeting correct or wrong yeah no absolutely i think covid definitely did uh facilitate and accelerate it served as a catalyst to technological adoption because now you you didn't have an option. You were forced down this specific channel. And, you know, I think you're looking at it in a very optimistic way, which is good. You know, on one lens, COVID accelerated this, this boom. And on another hand, you know, it also affected many people uh, negatively. But either way, I do, I am amazed by the fact that we're sitting in different parts of the world and we're able to still connect and exchange ideas and yeah, geography, location is no longer this barrier. Yeah. Let's get back to the connector four. What else you guys got planned? Uh, the four pillars, take us through that again. Yeah, I think, so how we really came up with this idea, right, is it started with this the banking platform, you know, as we know, we wanted to give people freedom over their financial tools, because as we already talked about, finances is, is, is really, a, it's a basic need. It's a, how we put our roof over our head and food on the table. And then, um, you know, we started with that. And then we thought, well, money is only as good as what you can do with it, right? It's a means of value exchange. But if you have nothing to exchange or nothing to buy, then what good is money if it's doing nothing. So then we thought we need, we need to increase its utility by adding this, this marketplace. And so then thus came, you know, the connector marketplace, which is where we wanted to attach real life utility to NFTs. So now instead of NFTs just being a JPEG picture of a monkey, you can actually receive the physical item of what whichever NFT you're buying. So let's say there's an NFT, a Lamborghini. So you want to buy that NFT, you'll get, yes, the NFT, which can serve as like a certificate of authenticity in a way, but you'll also get it in real life. And then we thought, okay, so now we have this means of, we have the money, we have, you know, things you can do with it, but we're still missing something. And then we thought communication. So hence the connector socials, you know, we looked a lot about some of the drawbacks to existing social media platforms, which is this, this lack of freedom of speech, this government intervention, you know, we saw a lot of that during the pandemic where doctors and physicians were being, um, you know, had their accounts shut down for voicing their expert opinions, which I believe is just fundamentally corrupt and wrong. And so hence, you know, the connector socials. And then we thought we're still missing something. Now we need a place, a place with no geographical barriers, hence the connector verse or the connector metaverse. So then we took back, That's we took a step back. Metaverse part is the fourth pillar. Yeah, yeah, you got it. And so we took a step back and we looked at our, all our ideas and we thought, okay, we have value, 
value exchange, yeah. communication, and right. a place. Wow, this sounds a lot like a system, an economic system. So now that's why we're calling it a revolutionary economy because economy comprises of, of several different parts and we, we strive to, to hit all those targets. Of course, we got to be realistic, so it's not all going to unfold at once, but it's just something for our users to look forward to about what's coming next. Right. That sounds awesome and amazing, and I wish you guys the best of luck and support. And we'd like to follow the progress on future podcasts on this. So tell me on the DeFi. Now, let's go to the... Is that That's going to be the first project. Are you guys planning on creating your own coin or you use uh, what, uh, another crypto or another digital assets? What are, you, what are your plans? Yeah, so we'll be creating our coin, which is called the connector coin. Okay. Uh, so how it's going to work. So think of everything that you can do in the centralized world. We're going to be able to do any decentralized world. So okay. really like anything from like paying your bills, paying in store, uh, offering loans, offering yield farming, offering really staking anything that you can do in the centralized world, you can do it in our platform. And right now the DeFi is a little bit harder for people to get into because they'll need to have a wallet in one place. They'll need to do something else in another app. So basically you need three to four, five, six, seven, eight apps downloaded on your phone, which with us, you have it all in one platform. Nice and easy, user-friendly that, you know, we did a study on a thousand people and asked them, what's the reason you're currently not using crypto today? And there were two main uh, reasons. Right. Number one, too hard to get into. Number two, no utility. Like I cannot really buy anything with it yet, yes. right? So. That's exactly what the connector is looking to fix. We'll be having utility behind our coin and there's going to be easy and nice for anyone to understand. My mom, she's 50 years old. She uses her bank account every single day. Yet, if I hand her a DeFi platform, she looks at it like it's something she has never seen into her life before. She yeah. takes probably an hour just to figure out how to uh, log in or sign up, yeah. which yeah. is very painful, right? So that's what the connector is facing, fixing. It's making it nice and easy for anyone, no matter of their age, no matter where they are, you can access our platform because it's actually familiar. I mean, we are going to have our MVP in the next five to six weeks and we'll be be more than happy to you know share with you and with your audience to really see what we are actually talking about when we mean simplicity and familiarity yeah we'll be looking forward to that that sounds great and yeah. you were mentioning you spoke to someone in madagascar and have you guys been connecting with other countries or trying to uh, have you been on any other podcasts how's that how's so let's talk about now the realistic stuff about uh, being an entrepreneur in the space and being, you know, trying to motivate yourself and push yourself forward. How, what has the challenges been? How are you building your team or your development? Are you outsourcing stuff to India or China or, uh, you know, talking about this DeFi world? Because yeah. 
even this podcast, I'm not going to edit the video. It gets sent uh, through uh, a shared drive to someone else and someone else edits it. And then we've got someone else uploading on social media. So this is such a different way compared to traditional businesses where you have an office with a team. How, how have you guys been building the team or the, what you say? Yeah. I think, I think I'm I think I'm going to need another coffee if you want to dive deeper into this subject. Oh, our story <laughs> oh, is... Share, share it with us because I'm, I'm always willing to learn and I want to know how's the journey going, you know, behind. Oh, well, it, I think being an entrepreneur is really understanding this, this one month. Okay, your, your network is your net worth. Okay, like... It's all about connection with people. It's all about bringing minds together. And in a, in a world where we have social media, you can really harness that power to create your team. And like, I'm not sponsored by LinkedIn, but we have LinkedIn to thank for this. I mean, a lot of our really valuable connections and a lot of our team was actually found through LinkedIn, through reaching out to people um, in different cultures in different parts of the world and just taking the time out of our day to be like hey you know what I'm working on this what are you doing let's have a little meeting get to know each other share stories and and you know think of ways that we could create some synergies um, and the, the reason I'm smiling is because you know we had a a, a previous acquaintance or you know who wanted to be our project lead who told us Edward, you need to get off LinkedIn. You need to stop connecting with people. And, and you know, we, we took a step back. We thought, hold on. No, this, this isn't what building a business is, is about. It's not about isolating yourself. It's not about, you know, only reaching out to who's in your direct surround, physical surroundings. It's about connection. And so, yeah, we, we've gathered an amazing team an amazing team of like-minded individuals, which took a lot of effort. And, but, you know, we, I feel like we finally built, built that. And that, that's how come we're gaining so much momentum now is because the people that are a part of our team. And, how and I think it's really like when, it, I mean, it hasn't been easy. Like if I have to really, you know, sometimes it's so hard it makes me feel like oh my god I can't you know but like you just really think of like building a new business from zero to what wherever you want to take it a billion dollar two billion dollars or whatever your impact wants to be if it's like more of a financial projections I like to call it impact projections which I see that sometimes from you know investor standpoint of view they just look at more of a financial, but to us is more of an impact projections, how many people we can impact with this, what else can we do? And, you know, think of like building a new business is like sales. How many people I need to call every single day to get that one sale? And, you know, like sometimes you give up too early, but really forming that team is extremely important because you got to reach out to a thousand people to find one person that truly believes in you just as much as you do and truly believes in your project. And I feel like the hardest point for us is being like really finding those individuals that see the project, believe in it just as much as we do. And I mean, we've been working on the connector for a year now and we can finally say, you know what? We found the right team. Have we been through a lot? Oh my God. Like I can't even like, 
the amount of things we had to go through, like, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we, yeah. Like no, we I, had people I can relate that- 100% <laughs> because it's, it's like you, you're just hitting wall after wall, failure after failure. Yeah, but, like, think, think of, th- yeah but think of this. If you truly believe in something with everything you have, and I'm saying like everything, put everything on the line, because if you never give up on something, eventually it will become reality because you keep hitting that wall and you're going to take that wall down. It might take you longer than you expected, but you will take it down. And this, the connector is my fifth venture. And trust me, like, you know, being an immigrant in a new country, you know, coming with a hundred dollars in my pocket 12 years ago in Canada, you know, it's never been easy. And I mean, I'll always be an immigrant no matter what, you know, in a different country than my home country, I'll always be an immigrant and I'll always be treated like an immigrant, no matter what I do, no matter what I accomplish at the end of the day, I'll still be an immigrant and I'll be treated certain ways, but that doesn't mean I should give up on my dreams that I have. And that's what got me through, you know, really having that focus and that vision and writing things down. Hey, I'm going to get here, whatever it takes. I'm not going to stop just because 3000 people told us we cannot do it. We had investors telling us we cannot make the connector happen. We have investors telling that probably every single day. But yet we have three investors that believe in it more than we do, you know, because they can see the vision and they believe in this, the founders, they believe in the team and really looking at that team, like I said, in, uh, in the first couple of minutes of the podcast makes a huge difference, huge difference, because at the end of the day, you, if you look at the track record of the people that are involved, that's all it really matters. Then you know where they're going to take it, you know, and if they never gave up on a dream, no matter how many people told them they cannot do it and eventually they made it happen, you know they're going to make it happen again and again and again. Yeah. So I think, I think you you got a psychologist, you know, on your team. So, <laughs> so. I feel like, and that's why I believe the connector is so valuable because I come more from a marketing standpoint of view. So I come more from like branding, advertising and know what, you know, we have to put our sons out there for people to, you know, to see and what people likes. And we have Paige being a psychologist, uh, PhD psychologist. And we have uh, Daniel, who's uh, been a venture capital in the venture capital firm for the last couple of years, being uh, one of the first firms in Europe to be regulated. Um, we have Bali, who's like coming from massive projects. He's our director of uh, technology and we have Leo that's a full stack developer and honestly like I could go on and on and those people believe in the connector just as much as we do and did it take us a year yes did it take us I swear I think we had over a thousand meetings with people in the spam of like three to four months we were like meetings every single day not finding the right people and it's been the same with investors we talked to thousands of people telling us we dream too big and I said oh damn we're on the right path, but others will be like, oh, damn, I think we actually do dream too big. I think we should slow things down. Now, if dream bigger, I always tell people, if your goal is, you know, you want to impact 5 million users in two years, 
dream bigger. How, how about 10 million? How about 20 million? How about 7 billion? You only have one life. Dream as big as you want and as, dream as big as you can. It doesn't matter. People will not like that you dream too big or you dream too small, no matter what. But at the end of the day, if you, like I said, if you truly believe in yourself, in your project, you'll find a way. You know, sometimes people will reach to me on LinkedIn and say like, yeah, you know, it takes a lot of money to make a, uh, you know, a crypto pro project uh, successful and all of that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot of money. It takes a lot of effort. That's what it takes. A lot of effort. Yes, it's not going to be easy. Yes, you're going to get roadblocks. Yes, people will tell you you dream too big. Yes, you're going to get into certain issues. But you're going to fix them. That's what you are. You're an entrepreneur. You're a problem solver. Aren't you? Yeah. You can solve anything. Entrepreneurs, real entrepreneurs can solve anything. So, you know, when you... I, I always get really excited so I can keep oh, going. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. I think the best part of this podcast is always when I take value, not the listeners. Okay. And, yeah. and you know what? Actually, I always say this podcast is done for two reasons so i can take value and then i've got three daughters so if i'm never around in life i want my daughters to watch this podcast and know how their father connected to people globally and how uh i i, I never want to stop learning so it's always yeah. podcast is about me connecting to people out of my community okay that uh, out of a 50k radius because how much can i learn Okay, and we come from a Muslim background. I, I mean, I am Muslim and our religion is Islam, but there's a saying that you must seek knowledge even if you have to travel, like, you know, to another city, like to Damascus, you know. So the Prophet was in uh, Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, and they used to say that even if you have to travel like far, go seek knowledge, okay. Uh, and, and we should never stop learning. We should never stop learning, you know. Every single day is another opportunity to learn something new. Every single day is another opportunity to make things happen. And, you know, I just want to say to the audience, if we can do it, you can do it too. Yeah. Anyone can do it. You know, I, I totally understand sometimes, you know, we are born in a country that we wish we were not born there. But that, that's we can't fix certain things but you know look at the future and do do everything you can to make it better you know and stop you know excuses that's something easy i can make up an excuse for anything anything you know but that's not the point of life you know so and i was yeah. i was raised you know i was raised by a single mom she worked three jobs to be able to raise me we moved to canada with a hundred dollars in uh you know our pocket and we didn't even have luggages for uh, clothes we had bags grocery bags for our clothes so think of you know it, it hasn't been easy but you know I, I made the best best out of it and that's all i can do you know make the best out of it, everything that i do you know what hats off to you and you know i value your journey and I want to add that there's many people in the world, like when you say you're a foreigner, but who really is a local in, in, in the land? You know, exactly. everyone is actually a foreigner, even, even though the Europeans that came to America were foreigners. Okay. So I think the world right now, I myself am third generation in South Africa, but we from India. So 
am I, am I South African? Am I Indian? And if you just go back another three generations there, they probably came from somewhere else. So the world, you know, it just doesn't, I won't say it doesn't make sense now. It makes sense that everyone's just a global community now. And that's where we're all on LinkedIn. I mean, if, if you want to date a girl, go on t t uh, Tinder. If you want to uh, look at pictures, go on Pinterest. But if you want to do business and you want to connect with like-minded progressive people, go on LinkedIn. And that's how we, we connected here. Okay. Exactly. And the way I look at it is these are just virtual shopping malls. Okay. Uh, if you wanted to buy a car or, or be enthusiastic with cars, you'd go to a certain area that got five, six car showrooms. Okay. And uh, if I asked you, you know, what are the five biggest shopping malls in, in the world currently? I would say it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn. These are malls. And there's, 700 million people every day walking through LinkedIn, okay? And that's how, I don't know, people think I'm on drugs when I start talking this way. But to me, if I told you you're going to open up a new franchise, just say Popeye's Chicken or KFC, okay? You don't need to open 7,000 stores. You just need to open seven. You need to put one in Facebook, one in LinkedIn, one in Instagram. I mean, <laughs> one there. You need the connector to just be present in these locations. Okay. And if you had to put a, a Popeye's chicken in Niagara Falls, you'd need a point of sales. You need a manager. You need someone to keep that place clean. So just treat each social media platform like a store. You know, put someone full time there to connect to the audience. Uh, this is the vision I have. I, I'm also trying to raise funds. If, if you're any, any listeners out there, you know, we, we're trying to build an education platform and Global Institute of Wealth. So what we've done, it's quite interesting. People can go to my YouTube, exactly where this podcast will be uploaded on YouTube. And in the playlist, we've made some content using AI on what is Bitcoin, Okay. And we're making modules. So module one is like just about Bitcoin. And then what happens is we've done it in 11 languages. Okay. Oh, wow. So the idea is if we say we are global institute of wealth, then we have to teach the entire globe about wealth and the principles about Bitcoin, whether it's in Arabic, English, Hindi, Zulu for South Africa or whatever in Spanish, it's all the same principles. So, you know, after I studied, I was like, okay, let's make these modules. And it's just in test phase because we're trying to raise some funding where we can create something like a Netflix, okay? And we say, listen, you want to know about digital assets. You want to know about the blockchain. You want to know about the metaverse. All this information is on one website. Pay something like $6 a month and you can watch it in whatever language you want. So... A Portuguese guy can go on at his ledger and go through video by video. And the videos are short, just like two minutes, because people don't want to read. They don't have attention span and they just want to watch a video. So mm. we we also trying to look for uh, data visualization people that can put visuals behind the, the, the AI. So the AI talks and they can see something. But the beauty is this we can do it in 60 languages okay yeah and i see this as you know if i get a thousand subscribers on each language in 60 languages i mean that's massive 
So yeah. this is just one. Yeah, it's just the impact that you'll be able to have on individuals and giving them the opportunity to educate themselves through those through those videos, right? So yeah, that's I think I believe that's huge and that's something that we we want to have in our uh, connector voice in the next three to four years. We're still working on that, but we want to have an AI system that's going to be able to read the person's intelligence and based on where they are and where they want to be, let's say in the next five years or where they want to end as a career, it will give them the right courses to really learn That's what they want to, yeah, what they, they want to do in, in life, right? So I don't believe in that uh, geographical barriers and I believe everyone should have access to finance and access to education no matter where they are in the world. Yep. So there's no there's no more excuses for us in the 21st century. Why there's no clean water in Africa? Why there's no financial system? I'm like we're gonna make those excuses for the rest of our lives. You don't, know don't what I mean? It's funny so that making... some some of the education courses or, or education in America it's like three hundred thousand dollars for three year education or something. But yet exactly. go, you go watch five ten podcasts of. I don't know, Michael Saylor, Raul Paul, Max Kaiser. Yeah. You feel like you learned more watching some podcasts or listening to podcasts or reading the Bitcoin standard or the bullish case of Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. I felt like I learned more than I learned in my entire schooling career. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the education system, eh, that's a, we could go down a rabbit hole down there, but it's time for a huge update in that area too. I mean, I remember some of my professors they they would just put on TED Talks of YouTube anyways and sit in their chairs. And I thought, dang, like I'm paying three grand to do something I could just do at home. What is this? Yeah. And, um, but I like what you said, uh, just circling back to, um, you know, a belief in your religion. And I, I can't remember the quote exactly, but something about how uh, the transfer of knowledge or how knowledge is power or to keep learning or something like that. Look, there's a, it, you're supposed to seek knowledge from cradle to the grave. Knowledge. And you all, there's another saying that even if you have to travel as far as China to get knowledge, go. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that because, um, you know, if you want to really be immortal, don't, you know, if I was to say to any listener about entrepreneurship, about knowledge, about ideas, it is you know, don't die with your ideas. Get out there, communicate them. And if you don't know how to communicate them, learn how to communicate them. Because, you know, if you want to really capture a meaningful, fulfilling life, it's when we're able to spread that knowledge to, like you said, your kids, your daughters, right? You want to teach them. And, and that's really how to, the true meaning of, of human immortality is, is to share this knowledge to share your wisdom to share experiences and then they pass that down to their generation they learn and it just keeps going and going and going i mean look at some of the greatest scientists einstein you could argue is immortal um mendel the founder of genetics is immortal we still talk about them and it's been like 200 over 200 years so uh i think that's a really powerful philosophy to live by and, you know, if you're going to, if you're feeling stagnated, if you're feeling stuck, I think my number one advice would just be communicate, spread your ideas, talk to people, 
and and things will happen because of that but nothing's going to happen if you just keep it all inside you don't want to die with your ideas yeah. Yeah. i think another thing is I see, a, I see a lot with family offices where the third generation in a family business actually just are plugged into a system. And, you know, you, you can't follow your grandfather's dream. You've got to live your own vision and you've got to find your why in life. And I, I think the book that had the most impact on my life, I would say at this moment was this book by Simon Simonek saying start with your why and it took me months to to actually dig so deep to, to think mm -hmm. what the hell is my why my why cannot just be having a business to make money selling importing clothes from china and selling to south Af south african customers yes you're making money but is this your why in life yes uh, you would have maybe three why uh, three different whys or i would call it there's three different things you need to focus on one is your, your spiritual level, okay, so that you might find your own religion. The second one is your body. You need to look after your body physically. I mean, not be smoking, not being on drugs or eating healthy and taking protein, right intakes, not, not eating too much sugars. So you got your spiritual, you got your physical, and then you have to have your mental. I mean, and I think so many people are just mentally dead nowadays. They have no, uh, no, no, no ideas, no, no vision, no dreams, right? And uh, sometimes I look at some people that they might have a fancy car or a fancy Rolex watch on, and you feel shame. All you have is money, because there's nothing. Take that watch and car away. The person can't even doesn't have anything exciting in their life. Okay. I mean, what, what are you waking up every day to do? What impact are you putting on people? And, and you know what? Helping people is part of our religion and I've, which I'm sure it's part of most religions. Okay. And making a difference. You cannot just be selfish, just be making money and buying cars and watches. You have to have an impact to help those below you. So, I mean, even this education system we're coming off with, I'm not doing it for me to learn. I finish learn. I finish do all my courses, but we want to make it cheap where the MIT course was over $5,000. We, we saying, let's take that same, obviously we, you know, facts about Bitcoin are facts about Bitcoin. It doesn't belong to anyone. So if, you know, there's a fact saying Bitcoin has 21 million coins, MIT can't own that, right? So we simplifying it into facts and we're putting small videos and we're saying to people, you know, even if, we, it's free at the moment, even if we give it away for free and just get 10,000, 100,000 users, okay? I'm sure there'll be some value in this in the future, but if people can understand what Bitcoin is and what blockchain technology and the metaverse is about, then adoption will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like to say, what would you do if money was not an issue? Write that down and then write the top five, 20, 60 things you will do because oftentimes money is not an issue for those things to be done, you know, but we put money as a bearer. Oh, I cannot go to a trip in Florida because I don't have money. I cannot, you know, paint because I don't have money. You know, we often put money as a barrier, you know, but oftentimes money is not the barrier. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's our mind that's the barrier. That's the only when, barrier. When did you figure have. this out? Like in the last few years, or you've always thought that way? Because I find it very interesting. You know, like I also recommend a book that's called uh, The Magic of Thinking Big. So okay. I believe that, you know, that book really helped me think. I, I, I think big, but that book helped me think bigger. You know, outside the, I don't know, outside the, metaverse let's put it like that outside the metaverse you know yeah <laughs> and it's just it's fascinating because really like the only barrier we have in life is our mind there's no other barriers this money is not a barrier you know and often you know so yeah yeah so the uh, psychology is is huge i would often ask um you know a lot of my clients the question that you asked Edward, why would I add a factor? Because the other feedback I'd hear is, oh, I'm too old, too old to go to school. I'm too old to start this. My life's over. And so if, if money and time wasn't a barrier, yeah, what, what would you be doing? And it kind of ties into what you were um, talking about, Mohammed, when you said your why, find your why. But, but that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to do and a very overwhelming question for many, you know, even some of these listeners may be sitting back in their chair now probably saying, oh, geez, I, I don't know my why. So, so how, what is your why and how, how did you find that? And what would you say for someone who's still struggling to find their why? You're asking me this. I feel like now this yeah. psychologist asking me, how did you no, find I love it. <laughs> so it took me a long time. And then I decided to make a website called mohammedbarnard.com. Okay. With my name, because why not? Okay. And what would you put on the website? You have to, you have to write something about yourself. And I think, this was one of the hardest things I've done in my life mentally, okay? And I've come to the conclusion, I'm going to simplify it. My why in life is to preserve wealth for the, for the next generation, okay? And when I say wealth, I do not mean just money. So I look at wealth as having many different definitions, like let's call it six or seven de de definitions of wealth. So I've come up with the slogan, preserving wealth for future generations. And when you ask what is wealth, the first wealth is knowledge. Because if I part knowledge to my, to my kids, example, if I say, listen, don't go in this river, there's a crocodile. That could save their lives, okay? But if I leave them a million dollars, and I don't give them that knowledge, they're going to still kill themselves, okay? So knowledge, I would say, is the number one wealth. And I sit every night for dinner with my three kids, and we have really good conversations. And it's amazing how even my seven-year-old, okay, she has an iPad. Uh, I think in the last few years, that's when I went and I, I realized I cannot hold back uh, buying my kids an iPad and thinking that, oh, they're just going to sit and play games. I looked at it as an investment into their future because I'm giving them access to global worlds. They got access to go on Shein and see clothes, yes, but they can also go on AliExpress and maybe buy a few things and maybe they can start an online store or whatever, you know? So they're not limited in their beliefs and their visions. 
but knowledge being number one. And then from knowledge, you know, it comes down to reading. It, the more they read, like if you read books, you would say in your life, these books have had impacts on your life. Uh, I find having health is a wealth. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, if you're not healthy and you're sickly and you got just money, what use is the money? Okay. And another one is probably reputation and relationships. I mean, being presentable in society, carrying yourself well. I don't mean in a flashy way, but just being able to have a conversation with the person, not being nasty, understanding, being respectful of another person's religion or another person's uh, belief. Okay, we don't have to push down uh, my religious belief down your throat. We can just have a conversation on a topic like blockchain technology and just enjoy the conversation. Okay, just like this. So these are the things that I I feel preserving wealth for future generations. And the last thing is then finance. Okay, teaching them what is uh, hard money about money because. Who knows how long this South African rand is going to last? What if it goes down like the Zim dollar, which is just our neighbor? Okay. And uh, what's happening with the US dollar and whatnot? But if they start educating themselves properly and knowing knowledge is the number one thing, then they're never going to be short of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Does that answer yeah, no. the question? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that's that's very powerful. So that is then why I created Global Institute of Wealth, okay? And I said, global, we want to teach the world. Institute is just a group, I mean, a, a wisdom and knowledge, okay? And, and about wealth. Yes, uh, the main topic for the public is about Bitcoin and blockchain and digital assets and stuff like that. But... The why is actually that I want to leave this uh, knowledge for my kids. And um, I think what actually happened one day is I wrote a letter to my grandkids. Well, my, my kids are not even alive. I mean, not, not even uh, married yet, right? But my grandkids are not alive yet. But I sat and I wrote a letter to them. I didn't perfect letter. I did like one or two versions. And it makes you really dig deep what's important in your life. And then you realize this pen you're holding or this phone is actually just meaningless for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that exercise about writing to your grandkids because, yeah, it really forces you to to dig deep into, yeah, what, what do I want to pass along? How do I want to be remembered? What's important? Um, yeah, I also like the idea of knowledge you know, when you said not shoving it down people's throats, I think the biggest thing in, in parenting and relationships in general is like, okay, I have this belief and, or, you know, I know this fact of knowledge or what I believe is to be a fact, you know, but what, what do you think? And, and fostering this reflective exercise because so often in school and by parents, you know, we're, and by governments, we're told what to think. And, you know, people don't like to be controlled and they're not going to feel fulfilled that way by being told what to think. So you have to constantly ask people around you, what do you think? Do you resonate with this? What do you believe? Maybe you have a different experience. And I think that's really at the heart of knowledge is 
when you think about it is like, okay, I hold this certain belief or ideological perspective, but I understand that someone's going to hold something different. And, and for kids, especially for evolving minds, you, you really want to challenge that muscle of a brain to be like, you know, I'm your parent. Yeah. And a lot of the times I teach you things, but you know, what you think matters too. And I want you to think about what it is that you think. What are you going to add to this society? What are you going to add to this academic curriculum? You know, where's your value? And I think that's really helping other people discover their why is how often do you really sit back and ask the person across the table, you know, what do you think? Sometimes we can get trapped in this, this egocentric perspective where, you know, humans, we love to talk about ourselves. Everyone loves to talk about themselves. But I did a social experiment once where I went out to different restaurants and I talked to strangers at the bar and I said, you know, I'm going to see how long I can go on with the conversation before that person asks something about me. And 98% of the times we'd be an hour into a conversation and no one had even asked about me. And I thought, wow, man, that's fascinating. And, you know, that just inspired me to ask more questions about other people. I think that is also one of the major purposes of my podcast, because I believe making this podcast, it would be on YouTube and my kids can watch it and my grandkids can watch it. And yes, I am a very friendly person and I would talk to strangers. You know, I I love to travel into like over 60 countries. And uh, my family laughs that I just talk a lot to, to people, but it's just my nature of being friendly. And what the podcast has taught me to do, okay, is to listen to other people. And by listening, you learn a lot. And that's why when we started this, I said, tell me your journey. And I feel, I mean, imagine me bringing a thousand different people from all over the world onto my podcast. And if I just say, tell me your journey, I'm getting to listen to such different backgrounds and every person's journey is different. Okay. So, you know, if I had to just record this podcast and it's just me talking facts and figures and is, you know, just putting the content out as one person, I'm not learning, but this podcast being a three-way conversation or a two-way conversation makes me keep quiet, listens, and it's actually like a one hour download of knowledge for me. So I, I see huge benefit in this. Uh, it's like, as if, imagine if I phoned you and I said, listen, I want you to give me one hour of connectors time. And uh, I want to, you know, learn something from you. You'd charge me for your time or, or something like that. Yes, there's benefit. But this way, we like both benefiting. You learning something from me. I'm learning something from you. We mutually have a respect. We know there's some benefit, maybe a marketing benefit. But at the end of the day, I think the most benefit is when I close this podcast, I'm going to be more knowledgeable than I was two hours ago. Okay. And that to me is what this podcast is about. Yeah, absolutely. I think Edward does a good job of this in his real life. When you meet him in person, he's... uh... Uh, he's very, very quiet when he's listening and he's downloading. And, you know, some people find that intimidating because now 
often the feedback he gets is, oh my God, I've shared so much about myself. I know nothing about you. And then they start to feel a little bit vulnerable, right? No, but uh, definitely we have, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> but, but I can see a lot of similarities between Edward and I because we're two crazy guys that want to go against the, the, the current, okay, and swim upstream and do things and be ourselves, okay? And, you know, the other day I wrote in my journal, and I'm not a big journaler, okay, because, uh, I don't know, for some reason, but I try. And I wrote there that, you know what? Whatever experience you've had in your life, you need to take all those experience and all that knowledge and be the best version today. And, and tell yourself, listen, I am going to perform my best because you don't want to be putting in 50% and 60% of your effort when you, you've put in in school. You know, I tell this to the youth nowadays, okay? And I'm giving my age away here. I'm 40 years old. And I, and I look at youth because I employ some youth. And it's very, very sad and demoralizing when I see the attitude of the youth, okay? They would stay up till one, two, three in the morning studying for an exam in school. Then they go and do three years of education in university and they study for weeks and, you know, they do their thesis and then they, and then they get a job in the real world and they, they come late to work and they want to leave early and they put no effort. And you're like, that was practice. So you put so much effort in practice now in the real world, now's the time to shine, you know? I mean, imagine you practice the rehearsal for, you know, a Broadway show and you practiced and practiced and you stayed up. But the day of the show, you're not even interested. Yeah. Well, I, I do have a good example on that side as well. I used to be a competitive swimmer. Uh, I broke a Canadian record in 2015, but yet I missed the cut for Olympics by 100 of a second. Wow. And I mean, that's something that, you know, stays with me even today, right? And I look back and I wish I was listening more to my coach from Romania, where she was telling me, you always have to give it your 110% today. That 110% might not be like it was yesterday because how you feel today you're more tired and all of that but as long as you give it your very very best every single day mm. it's trust me in the long run it will make the difference and now i sit back and realize that like hey there might have been practices or swimming competitions where i didn't go my 100 percent because i was holding a little bit of gas back you know you know for the next practice or for the next race or whatever but then I missed that cut for Olympics by one hundred of a second. And that wow. has been my dream. And probably, you know, on my deathbed, I'd be like, shit, I missed that. Like, that's a dream I never was able to accomplish. But now I translate that into my business. And I go 100% every single day, no matter what. I, if I feel like crap, if I have a headache, I don't care. That headache has to wait till I go back to bed and then start again to have the headache. I'm not going to let the headache get through. You don't I'm need a psychologist. Know. You don't need a psychologist to help you. <laughs> you don't need Paige to be there. <laughs> you know what? It, it's like, I think this is the beauty of this podcast. Whatever we discussed in the beginning is one thing. But I mean, getting the inspiration from you and listening to your life story and your journey, that's what has the effect on my life now. It makes me want to go and push harder, makes me want to realize 
am I really giving my 110%? Because I'll be honest, it's hell of a stressful trying to build something, especially in this field when it's not it's not the same like if you 20 years ago wanted to open a clothing store or you wanted to open a, a supermarket it's been done a hundred times there's a blueprint for it there's no blueprint for what you're trying to do we are creating the blueprint as we're going absolutely yeah i like the idea of you know pushing no matter what as the famous words of conor mcgregor he he says you know it's easy to think positively when you feel good, but where the true test comes in is if you can, can think positive and control your mind when you don't feel good, that's where the test comes in. It's, you know, everyone can think positive when things are going right, but what about when things aren't going your way? Are you still able to have that mental strength to, to control your mind and control your thoughts in a positive direction? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, just enjoy the journey. I mean, don't forget you why. I mean, there's things that are going to happen, you know, and then, you know, sometimes I just smile. I'm like, shit, another another thing, excuse my language, another thing has happened, you know, like, I'm like, that means we are so close to breakthrough, you know, when something not as positive happens, I look at it as a positive because I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to that breakthrough. And, you know, like we had the risk, like one of my other projects was a entertainment company where we hosted Canada as big as fashion music festival and we went on shows and you know to get uh, to uh, ask investors for funding and they all washed the floor with us telling us you're not going to pull this off you're not going to do this and then 10 months later the letter we pulled it off at a 12x to what we presented them you know and i looked at like all the things that we went through and i'm like damn i'm so happy i didn't give up you know like and it's yeah. just that yeah. satisfaction that you get where like you hit it you know, and like you look at yourself in the mirror and I'm like, I did it. You know, we did it because at the end of the day, you cannot, depending uh, on what the goal so is. What made you, you stop? Did. What did you stop that business or do you still run that business? Yeah, we, we still, we do still run it, but because of COVID, we could no longer do festivals, yes, right? Yes. But actually that unknown actually has, that's the name of the company, has a partnership with the connector, which we are planning to host, I guess, you'll be the very first ones to know this because we didn't release it to public yet. But we are planning to do a festival next year uh, in the metaverse and real life as well. It's a yeah. fashion music festival. Okay. Make sure you invite me for the music festival. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, don't, I, I, I definitely would have you guys back on. Uh, but I want to just stop the podcast here. Otherwise, it gets too long for the listeners. And, uh, you know, the, the people that are listening, please give us your comments, give us your feedback. Uh, we don't really care about the likes or the dislikes, but give us your <laughs> and tell us, tell us what you think, what you like to hear. Uh, you know, you guys can connect with Paige and them on their LinkedIn. Uh, we'll try and put out all this, uh, the links for you all to connect. And um, the people listening as as Eduardo and Paige have said, don't dream small, dream big. You only have one life. I'll leave Paige and Eduardo to say their parting notes. Just make sure you always hit targets others cannot see. That's my finish line right there. And dream bigger. Whatever you're dreaming now, dream bigger.
and think, yeah. you know, when you're starting your business, think global, don't just think local, try to think global. And, you know, that that's a great way to connect with people from, you know, different backgrounds and it will, you know, traveling and connecting with them on social media will really help you understand how the real world works, not just living in your bubble, in your local thing. That's, you know what yeah. I mean? So travel, learn new things and connect with people from different parts of the world. Yeah, if I was to end off on one thing, I, it would be this one sentence. The bad makes the good better. So no matter what you're going through, if it's a negative experience, know that that so-called negative experience is shaping you. It's morphing you into exactly the person that you need to be to achieve what you want to achieve. So if you're down, if you're feeling stuck, just remember that everything happens for a reason and 